0: Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus.
1: Perfect. What do I do? <laughs> Good morning, Grace Church. Join me as we pray together. Our Father Alyssa and the worship team sang about your love, this love that is so different than what we're used to, this love that is unconditional, that just is, that's not fickle, that's not sentimental, that's not based on feelings this love that's based on action, sending your best, your son Jesus, to this planet as a man, to then die on a cross in our place. Lord, we are grateful for this kind of love, though we're not often used to it. And we know it's this kind of love that is prompting Brittany to share with Share the gospel with international students in DC. And we're thankful, Lord, that you're going to go before her and be around her with all that she, co- she comes in contact with, Lord. You're going to use her for your glory. We're also grateful for our resident missionary, Beth Grimm, Lord, as she travels to Guatemala today to share with missionary kids, to test and assess and teach. We're thankful for the gifts that Beth brings to the table. And how she can support missionary families so that they can share the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless her time. We're reminded, Lord, of who you are this day as we meet again. Out of habit, yes, but also out of a desire to love you more. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be motivated strictly by your love. Lord, because we know a, a need to be needed is not a sufficient reason to love. You love us unconditionally. And I pray that you would minister to our hearts this morning, whether here or online. Father, only you can do that. You can see past the facade, even the masks that we wear with each other. And you can reach into our head and our heart and change how we think and change how we do. We're thankful, Lord, that there's nobody here in the sound of my voice who is beyond your reach. No matter what we've been through, no matter what we're grappling with even today, we're thankful that you are bigger than any circumstance we can encounter. And I pray that my brothers and sisters this day would truly believe that. So, Lord, we are a hopeful people today. Give us a spring in our walk, an excitement. A willingness to be engaged in every minute and moment because we know you are in every minute and moment. And Lord, though we look for excitement, we realize that you meet us in the midst of the mundane. And so Lord, help us to have eyes to see what you're doing all around us. Continue to conform us to your image so that we're a little bit more like Jesus. Speak through your servant this morning, as Pastor Mike brings the message, thank you, Lord, for the life of Jonah and how his life can impact us today as we run towards you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So join me as we read Scripture, Jonah chapter 1. If you're like me, I had trouble finding Jonah. It's one of the later books in the Old Testament, so it might take a while to get there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, "Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you?" He answered, "I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land." This terrified them, and they asked, "What have you done?" They knew they knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, "'What should we do to to make the sea calm down for us?' "'Pick me up and throw me into the sea,' he replied, "'and it will become calm. "'I know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you.' "'Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, "'but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before.' And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights.
0: Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. When Jenny and I were first married, I went into pastoral ministry actually as a church planner. but Jenny went into ministry on a college campus. She was the campus worker for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Towson State University and Essex Community College for nearly three years in Baltimore County, Maryland. And it amazes me that 36 and a half years later, she still hears from now adult men and women about how God moved and worked in their lives through the campus ministry of InterVarsity. So when I hear Brittany Stover talk about the ministry that God has called her to, I think about the eternal power and opportunities that God is giving you. It's incredible lives will be changed. They will be changed forever. They will be changed here in the United States. They will be changed in nations around the world. And one of the ways in which we take the gospel to the world, especially a world where, oh, a high percentage is pretty closed to missionaries, is we bring international students face-to-face with Jesus. They trust him, and they take that good news back to their country. Interesting, little interesting insight about missions. Japan is one of the hardest nations in which to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. One-half of 1% of the nation of Japan knows Jesus. Now, it's not a closed nation, but it's a hard-hearted nation. But here's what's interesting. Japanese are most open to the gospel when they're in another country not their own, and so as international students, they're very open to the Gospels. They come to Christ, and you know what they do? They go back home, and they make a difference for the kingdom of God in their own home country of Japan, and that's gonna happen the world over. I just wanna encourage you, engage with Brittany today, meet her out here, talk with her out here. Consider being part of her support network. Maybe you've never supported a missionary personally, We're gonna do this as a church, we're supporting Brittany as a church, but there is blessing if you can support her as an individual or as a couple as well. I mean, really, $25 a month, $50 a month, $200, some might have the capacity or 500 or 1,000 a month to support Brittany, $25, that's five lattes depending on where you buy them. I mean, really, think about that, really, right? So those lattes are for yourself, the gospel is for everyone, amen? So no guilt there, just think about that, okay? Because I was thinking about it, and I don't drink lattes, but I drink iced tea, and yeah, well, there you go. So, I wanna encourage you, and I'll remind you at the end, make sure you stop by and talk with Brittany. Let me ask you a question today. Did you ever try to run away from home when you were growing up? Ever try to run away from home when you were growing up? I did, Um, my, my mom did me the great favor of keeping records of everything I did, for the first 21 years of my life. And she would write them down, you know, and put them into the baby book if I was very, very young. And so there are records that when she would ask me to do something that I didn't want to do, and I would really get angry, I would run away from home. Now, my version of running away from home involved four backyards until I got to my grandmother's back door. Until I would get across those four backyards, my mother had the opportunity to call my grandmother and say, he's on the way. It never occurred to me when I showed up at grandma's door why she was standing there waiting for me and why there were cookies on a plate inside the door, because her job was to calm me down and send me packing back to my mother again, which she did very, very well. Sometimes we run away because we don't like what our parents tell us to do. Welcome to the book of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. His story is one of the great fish stories of the Bible. But he ran away from his father because he didn't like what his father told him to do. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to spend time looking at the book of Jonah. And today, Jonah chapter 1. Let me just review it with you again. Verses 1 and 2. The story begins with God's commission or call on Jonah's life. And it's a very simple commission. Jonah, I want you to go and preach against the sin of Nineveh. I want you to share the good news of God and preach against the sin of Nineveh. Now when Jonah heard that, he knew about Nineveh. It was an old city. It was actually built by Noah's great-grandson Nimrod. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 10. It was an economically and politically important city. It was actually the last capital of the empire of the Assyrians. It was a big city. According to Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, it took three days to get through the city of Nineveh. It had a wall that was eight miles long. It was 100 feet high. It had 1,200 towers. It had 14 gates. It was an impressive city with an unrivaled palace, in the ancient world, but you know what? It was also a wicked city. In the prophet Nahum, Nahum chapter three, verses one through four, the word of God says about Nineveh that it was a city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, piles of dead, people stumbling, imagine this, people stumbling over corpses. It was filled with sexual immorality and it was filled with witchcraft. Verse three, Jonah, receiving the call of God to go to this city, decides to go in the opposite direction. He runs away from God. Nineveh was in the east, and what did he do? He chose to pay fare, get on a ship, and go to Tarshish in the west. It would be similar to us being called to go and share the gospel with New Jersey— We'll let that sit there. Jersey girls, you're with me here on this one? Say amen if you're with me, Jersey girls. Oh, there you go. All right, very good. And we turn and go to Toledo, Ohio. I've been to both places, and I like Lancaster. But anyway, I I mean, that's what Jonah did. He refused to go in the direction that God called him to go. And he went in the extreme opposite direction. Well, you understand that you can't outrun God, don't you? Verse 4 says that God sent a storm in the direction of Jonah. And what's interesting about the Hebrew in this verse is when it says that God sent a storm, the actual verse, the actual word in the Hebrew means that God hurled a storm in the direction of Jonah. It's sort of like God saying, okay, Jonah, you want to go to Tarshish? Watch this. Whoosh. And the storm is a raging, ferocious storm. In fact, it threatens to break up the ship. So the sailors on the ship, who are themselves pagans, worshipers of a plethora of gods, begin to cry out to their gods. They want order out of this chaos. And they do something very practical as well. They throw all the extra weight overboard. Get rid of that cargo, that's unnecessary. Now, verses 5 and 6 are really telling verses, however, because in verses 5 and 6, as the sailors are praying to their God, as they're throwing cargo overboard, the captain of the ship, who we know is like them a pagan, actually goes down into the ship and he finds Jonah. And you know what Jonah is doing in the midst of a ferocious storm that is threatening to break up the ship? You know what he's doing? He's in a deep sleep. Now, I can sleep deeply, but this is ridiculous. I mean, honestly. And he wakes him up and implores him, get this, pagan captain saying to man of God, would you please pray? Would you please pray? What happens next is fascinating. Verses 7 through 15. The sailors exhaust all their options, and so they decide to cast lots. Now, the casting of lots in this story is different than what some of you may have experienced in your church traditions growing up. No one is quite sure what the casting of lots here looked like, but Bible scholars have a couple of options. One is that there is a bag with lots of stones in different colors. Everybody had a different color assigned to them. They reached in after praying to the gods, pulled out a stone, and whoever's color came out you're the one responsible for this storm. There are others who believe that the casting of lots here meant that they were throwing dice, everybody had a number, whatever number came up, you're the one who is responsible for this storm. However it was done, the lot fell to Jonah. The sailors didn't really know much about Jonah, so the Bible says in verse eight that they questioned him, what did you do, where are you from, what's your home country, what's your culture, tell us about you. Jonah's answer in verse nine is a very noble answer. This is what he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Now at this point, the sailors become terrified. You see the important word in what Jonah just said? It's the word "sea." See up to this point, they're crying out to all these gods Can you help us? Can you help us? Can you calm the sea? And suddenly they realize that Jonah is the worshiper of this God who made the sea, and the sea is currently threatening to destroy us. What have you done, Jonah? What have you done? It's actually more exclamation than it is even question. The sailors then ask Jonah what they should do, And Jonah tells them. His answer is a very sad one. James Montgomery Boyce, now with the Lord, but had been pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, writes in his commentary a rather sobering statement. This is what he writes. So determined was Jonah to resist the Lord's will that he actually said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. And so what... Do they? What do they do? Well, he goes on and he says, I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And here's what Jonah meant by these words. I would rather die than do God's will. I would rather die than do God's will. Think with me for a moment here. If Jonah at this moment would have said, I'm the cause of this, I'm running from God. I'm sorry, God. I'll go where you want me to go. Would God have caused that sea to grow calm? I believe he would have. I believe that in the face of Jonah's confession and repentance, God would have answered his prayer. But he did not. He basically said, throw me overboard, because I'd rather die then do the will of God." Now, what happens next, I think, is very interesting. These sailors are pagans. They don't know the one true and living God. But you know what? They are compassionate and they are merciful. They cannot even contend in their mind to think that they should throw Jonah overboard. So the Bible says that they row harder. Actually, in the Hebrew, it means that they dig into the sea with all their might and do everything they can to avoid throwing Jonah overboard. And when it becomes apparent that they don't have the strength against this storm to win this battle, they cry out for the mercy of God, and then they pick up Jonah And they throw him into the sea. And the Bible says that immediately the raging sea grew calm. At this point in time, we begin to see the incredible miracles of God's mercy and grace. First of all, the sailors. Remember, worshipers of a plethora of gods come face to face, with the one true and living God. And the Bible says in one of the most beautiful verses of Jonah itself, that the sailors feared the Lord, that they made vows to him, that they sacrificed to him. Bible scholars debate whether this means that they got converted, I don't know, maybe they did. But if they weren't fully converted, they were pretty close to being fully converted followers of God because they saw his mercy and his grace. They met a great God. Jonah? Well, Jonah met a great fish. He was swallowed by a fish that we come to call a whale, and he was inside that fish for three days and three nights. Now, the story of what happened inside that fish will have to wait until next weekend. This is sort of like one of those TV shows that goes episode one, two, three, and four, and you have to wait, and it's not going to stream live this week on wherever, Zulu or whatever. Is is that a thing, Zulu? Or is that a tribe in Africa? I'm not sure. But anyway. (laughs) The question today isn't what happened inside the fish. The question today is what does Jonah 1 teach us about the character and the nature of God? Here's the deal about the story of Jonah. It's a great book. Great fish story. Everybody rushes through it, and you miss the finer points of what God wants you to learn about him. So let's stop at Jonah 1. Let's ask the question that is the best question to ask whenever studying the Old Testament, what does this passage teach me about God? And the very first lesson that I've learned about God from Jonah 1 is this. We can run away from God. We shouldn't, but we can't. It's foolish, but it's possible. In the 19th century, there was a little ditty, a little song written about Jonah, and it went something like this. Jonah was a fool. He was stubborn as a mule. Stubborn as a mule. Don't raise your hand, but maybe some of you are like him. I would say that I would have been and maybe sometimes can still be. When you run away from God, that action has a technical and theological name. I'm gonna test you on this. The name begins with an S, it ends with an N, and it has one letter in between. Sin, wow, good. That's the technical name. What you see happening here is Jonah sinning against the Lord. Now, when we sin, there are two broad categories of sin. Maybe you know this. If you don't, it's helpful. We sin when we do what we shouldn't do. These are called sins of commission. So, for example, lying, cheating, stealing, flying into a rage, running away from God. Those are sins of commission. We also sin when we don't do what we should. Those are sins of omission, such as not forgiving someone after they've hurt us, not praying, not reading the Word of God, not obeying God's call when He calls us to do a particular act. Jonah committed both a sin of commission and a sin of omission. Jonah ran away from God because he refused to obey God. Now, people run away from God for a whole variety of different reasons. One of the main reasons that people run away from God is that they disagree with God's commands. They simply disagree with God's commands. They don't agree that God is right. This was Jonah's reason, by the way. If you go to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah tells us that he knew. He knew that if he went to Nineveh and preached and told them about their sin, he knew that they would repent and God would be gracious and compassionate and forgive them. He knew that, and he was frustrated by that. Now, why would he be frustrated by that? Well, probably Jonah had this kind of attitude, they get what they deserve. And these Ninevites, my goodness, their city full of blood, vipers, witchcraft, all kinds of sexual immorality, why in the world should we clean that place up, God? There was a certain prejudice within Jonah where he basically disagreed with God's commands. I don't think they deserve to hear the good news that you want me to preach. It's kind of interesting that we live in a culture, and actually always have, where there are a lot of people who disagree with God's commands. We see it happening very much today, and probably more so today because it's publicized, where you have not only individuals disagreeing with God's commands, but you have whole churches that will disagree with God's commands. Or you might even have an entire denomination that will decide to disagree with God's commands. And so they'll read the Word of God, and then they'll pick and choose what they want to believe and what they want to hold to. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of our nation, was a man like this. If you visit his home in Monticello, and you go in through his bedroom, there is a plexiglass box, or at least there used to be, by his bed where his Bible is located. And if you look closely at his Bible, you'll notice that it's full of holes. Because the way Thomas Jefferson read the Bible is he would read it, and if he disagreed with something that God said in the Word, he would take a razor blade and he would cut out those sections of the Bible that he disagreed with. And as a result, the Bible is literally full of holes because he disagreed with a whole lot of God's commands. Now, there are people today who wouldn't do that with their Bibles, but they will live that way because eh, just don't really agree with what God said. Can you imagine if that's how we all live life? So I get my Bible, and I can choose to believe what I want to believe and do what I want to do, and the things that I don't like, I, I just cross them out. Eric can do the same with his Bible, and Kathy can do the same with her Bible. And after a while, you have utter, don't you can utter spiritual chaos because everybody's doing their own thing their own way. Instead of believing that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God, that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it is fully trustworthy, that it is without error, and therefore what it says, Ray, you would agree with this, right? What it says is how we live and what we believe. Sometimes, however, we run away from God because we disagree with God's commands. Secondly, sometimes we run away from God because we have a disregard for God's correction. We have a disregard. For God's correction, Let me explain what I mean by that. God corrects us through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you're reading the word of God, you might read something that really does trouble you because it's the opposite of what you believe or how you're living. And so that is God correcting you. And, and the Holy Spirit of God will take the word of God that you're reading and apply it to your life, and we call that conviction, and convict you that the way you're living or the way you're thinking is sinful and you need to confess and bring your life back in alignment with God's Word. I can't tell you how many times after a sermon someone will say to me, you were looking at me when you were preaching. <laughs> when you said such and such, you looked right in my direction. And, and sometimes I like to have a little fun and say, you're absolutely right. What are you going to do about it? it's not me looking at you. It's the Holy Spirit of God taking the Word of God and speaking it into your life so that you can live a life that is pleasing to God. But sometimes people don't like that correction, and so they disregard the correction of God and ignore it and run away from it. Thirdly, Sometimes we run away from God because simply we are disinterested in God's call or God's plan for our lives. Now, let me illustrate that from my own life. So, in 1980, God called me to pastoral ministry. I, I really did know in the spring of 1980, as I was making my way toward graduation from Penn Manor High School, that God was calling me, that what I was planning to do was not what he wanted me to do. But, to be absolutely honest with you, I had no interest in God's plan for my life. No interest. I had a sense that he might want me to be a pastor, and to be honest with you, I didn't want to be a pastor in the worst way. (laughs) I had no interest in it. You know, that's nice, God. There are other people out there, go to them. Not me. Here's my plan. I'm going to Franklin Marshall, major in international finance, going to intern over at the First National Bank of Strasbourg on the square of Strasbourg. I'm going, to, I'm going to become a banker, going to make money, going to be successful. That's my plan, God. So can you just kind of align yourself with my plan? Because it's a good one, God. And it's better than the one that you have. And I'm serious, that's how disinterested I was in the plan that God had for my life. And so what did I do? I ran away from the plan that God had and the call that God was placing on my life. Friends, I want to tell you something from personal experience. You can run away from God, but understand this, secondly, God will run after you. God will run after you. While it is true that we can run away from God, it's also true that we can never really escape his presence. Jonah should have known this. Bible scholars tell us that the book of Psalms was being used in Hebrew worship at the time of Jonah, and that Jonah would have been familiar, and in fact there are certain verses in Jonah that are reflections of Psalm 139. I want you to follow as I read verses 7 through 12 of Psalm 139. I want you to think about Jonah as he's on a ship and in the ocean and in a fish. Listen, the Word of God says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the oceans, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. God ran after Jonah, and he did so by hurling a a storm in his direction. Note this. That storm was not punishment. That was discipline. There's a difference. God was not angry. I'm going to go after Jonah. God loved him. I'm going to chase after him and bring him home. Summer in 1980 was a miserable summer in my life. God made it miserable. Glad he did. Should have been a great summer, summer after high school, college coming up, a lot of excitement. I was physically sick, I was emotionally sick, and I was spiritually dead. And God went after me. And I mean he went after me. On the second week of August of 1980, I finally, in response to a message at Rollinsville camp meeting, went down the center aisle, turned right, knelt at the altar rails, which are still there, and I said to God, and I'll tell you exactly what I said to him, I know you want me to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. Would you please let go? I I don't want this here's what I want to do. Can you honor that? Because I don't want to be a pastor. Now, you know, God, that in high school, my worst grade was public speaking. And I'd not, I'm not a preacher. And you know that I'm an introvert. Well, I sort of. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I think God heard me. Well, I know He did. He just didn't agree with me. And a month later, I went down another aisle. Bethel e. Church in Conestoga, second Sunday of September. And I made a right hand turn and knelt at an altar rail there, and I said, "I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. You win, God." And I'll tell you, I've never been happier that he won and that I lost that particular race of life. One of the commentators I read about Jonah 1 wrote this, some difficult circumstances that you're facing right now may well be a God-sent storm of mercy intended to be his intervention in your life. How do you know if the storm that you're in right now is God's intervention? Write this down. This is, like, profound. Ask him. Ask him. I finally asked God. I didn't like what I heard, so I went to my pastor, Reverend Howard E. Brooks Jr., and I asked him. He said, don't you realize that God is calling you to ministry? I said, I think I do. He said, When are you going to stop being stubborn and do what God wants you to do instead of what you want to do? And then that led to several weeks later, my yielding to God's call to ministry. We can run away from God, we shouldn't, but we can. If we do, God will run after us. Thirdly, understand this. When we run away from him, we take others with us. You realize that you cannot sin in isolation. You do know that, don't you? That you cannot run away from God and his plan and his call without others being affected by your decision to sin. Think about Jonah. He ran away from God opposite direction, and put the lives of all the sailors at peril by his disobedience. But that leads me to one last point, very important one. When we stop running and we turn back to God, God is waiting for us, and he truly is. Waiting to receive us, waiting to rescue us waiting to unfold in our lives his good and wonderful plan, the plan that he has to bless us. I want to tell you something about the call of God today. The book of Jonah is the story of God's calling to Jonah to become a missionary and evangelist. And it's a story about Jonah's response to God. Every Christian is called by God to serve him. If you sit here today and you claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a call on your life, every one of you. You know how I know that? Because the moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in your life. And he brought into your life, among other things, gifts of the Holy Spirit. He wired you in certain and unique ways to serve him in the church and in the world around us. God, through that gifting, has called you. The question today is, are you running in the direction of God, ready and willing to serve Him, or are you running away from Him? Are you doing the things that God has called you to do, wired you to do? Because friends, that's where genuine joy and satisfaction is found in life, not your plan but God's plan. And you say, oh my goodness, if I surrender to God and do what he wants, I won't have any more fun in life. Friends, that's not true. I'm the father of four daughters. I mean, that's just not true. I have, the, I have four daughters who are great joy to me. God has blessed our family abundantly. He hasn't taken away all of the joy. He's given us a congregation called Grace Community Church of Wall Street. What a joy this congregation is, and we were here long before we were even pastoral couple. What a joy. God isn't this kind of Grinch who withholds from us. He's a Father who pours out blessing on us. You do what He wants you to do, and He will bless you and bless you and bless you. And if you are a Christian, He wants you to do the things that He's gifted you to do. I often hear people say how do I get to know people in a church this size or you know, how do I find my way through one of the ways is to do what God has called you to do serve and when you begin to serve with the gifts that he's given you you will open up opportunities for relationship and for blessing that you have yet to even experience but there's one more thing I want to say to you some Christians not all not all. Some Christians, some of you are called to vocational ministry. There are some people in this church today whom God is calling to be pastors and missionaries. And the question today are you running? Away from God and His call, or are you running to Him? The vision of Grace Community Church is that we would not be a church that would sit here and just be so self satisfied with what we have. Oh, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this wonderful? It is beautiful. It is wonderful. But it isn't ours. God has given it to us to be used as a tool to bring people to Christ, but now listen to this, but then to send people out to be pastors and church planters and missionaries to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. May the number of Britneys multiply in the life of Grace Community Church. May individuals and couples and whole families yield themselves to the call of God to go on the field to be Bible translators, church planters to people groups that have yet to hear the gospel, medical or educational missionaries supporting the work of missionaries in other places around the world. This stage... I pray, and I have a vision for this, would be a place over the next several years where young men would kneel here to be licensed and ordained for pastoral ministry and plant churches that either exist now or do not yet exist, but someday will be planted because Grace Community Church is passionate about taking the gospel to communities that need gospel-centered churches. That this stage will be a place that will be sanctified by the Lord where young men and women will kneel and be commissioned as missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We want to be a sending church. We want to empty out seats as our sons and daughters go to the ends of the earth to take the good news of Jesus Christ so that people's lives are transformed. What joy there is in that. I wanna go one step further today, and I wanna ask you, if you're a mom or a dad and your kids are little, are you willing to pray a risky prayer as your children are being raised, where you say, Lord Jesus, if you wanna take any of our daughters, any of our sons, and you want them to go into ministry or to missions, I surrender them to you now. Oh, I know they're only two or three or four or five or 10 or eight years old, whatever, I'm giving them to you now. I want my children to be surrendered into your hands, to be used in whatever way you want to build your kingdom, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. This is the call of God on the church of Jesus Christ. It may be a call of God on your life. Let's pray together right now. Gracious Father, I thank you for Jonah chapter one, for the richness of this chapter that teaches us the truth that you have a call on our lives. Right now, Father, I want to pray for every Christian in this sanctuary and and online because we understand from the Word of God that there is not one person here who is exempt from the general call that you place to serve you. And every one of us are gifted to be able to fulfill that call. So my prayer is that every one of us would become fully engaged in following the call and the will that you have for our lives. Lord, I also wanna pray right now, and I pray in the agreement of the body of believers called Grace Community, that you would call out of our church pastors and missionaries. Lord, I pray that we'd be ascending church. I pray that our sons and daughters would not run away from you, they would run into your arms. They would not resist the call, they would yield to that call. Lord, make us ascending church. Give us the opportunity to give our sons and daughters away, our money away, to make a difference in the world in which we live for the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Would you stand with me? Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.